Hey, good morning. morning. Y'all can have a seat. Uh, we will be in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, today, I will pray for us and we will dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and we are your people. Uh, I'm not up for the task of opening your word and, and saying that these are the things that God says uh, apart from your grace and mercy in my life. And in our life as the people of God. So Holy Spirit, we need you now to help us to hear, uh, to change our hearts, to understand this word. And I just pray the things that are just of me, they would be forgotten. But the things that are of you, the things that are of your word, the things that are of glory, the things that are of your beauty, Jesus, would shine. Uh, Today, as we look at the power of the cross and how that cross affects our life in the midst of suffering and in the midst of marginalization, Lord, I pray that we would see... And behold, Jesus, your cross afresh, that we would see and behold what you have done to save sinners from death to life, and that we can turn to that cross and the reality of your forgiveness and the reality that by your stripes we are healed and we can endure. Then we can put one foot in front of the other in the midst of hardship. And in the midst of that hardship, Lord, Uh, That we wouldn't act like the world, but that we would act like your people. Blood-bought, cross-centered people. Jesus, we love you and we pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Today we have a text where in many ways, uh, the Apostle Peter is going to call us to see that the proof of our Christian life and the proof of the reality of Jesus is, so to speak, in the pudding. Uh, that our lives actually demonstrate realities about who Jesus is and the power of his cross. Uh, When I was growing up, I I grew up in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, I lived on Illinois Street, and on Patton Street, there was this family called the Knuckles. And and they were this wonderful, awesome, godly uh, family. And uh, and as I was there growing up, uh, I became uh, more and more resistant to the idea of Christianity and who Jesus was. And I would say things like, Yeah, you know, all Christians are. And of course, when you make a caricature of someone, you can say uh, loud things about them that they can't actually defend when you're saying it when they're not actually there. Well, all Christians are like this, or all Christians are like this, or all Christians are like this. And yet there was this family, the Knuckles, and I would say, well, all Christians are like this, except for this one family I know. Because they were honestly the only Christians I really did know, (laughs) right? Um, what I didn't understand and what I didn't see is that their life, this beautiful, wonderful family who I still bump into at the grocery store when I'm in Bellingham, uh, not only did their witness and their life uh, uh, act as a huge apologetic to me for the reality of Jesus because they actually believed the gospel. They actually believed things about Jesus. And so when I, from a distance, saw hardship hit their family and the way they responded The hardship was so radically different than anything I'd ever experienced in my whole life. I couldn't quite see it at the time, but later as I came to read the Bible and and consider Jesus and even become a Christian, uh, this family was this great apologetic for what it means uh, for us as Christians, not just to have a set of morals that we follow but because we're Christians, but to be people who believe the reality of the universe uh, that, that is evidenced in the person of Jesus and to live in response to that reality. Today, Peter's going to call us to that. And he's, this whole letter, I mean, he's dealing with suffering again and again and again. And we have to remember where we're at. So Peter's writing 
prior to Nero's persecution, so there's no governmental persecution of the church at this point in time in history. But what is happening is people are beginning to say, I don't like these Christians. They're kind of freaking me out. I, I don't like what they think. I don't like what they do. They're living different than us. They're not going along with society. They're not doing these things, and the, and the, the screws are getting, beginning to turn on them a little bit. And things are beginning to get harder and harder. And, and there may even be things like uh, local magistrates or governors not liking them and doing things sort of against Christians. Uh, but there's no, uh, there's no widespread uh, legal persecution yet at this point in time. It's coming. And, and Peter maybe can smell it in the air a little bit. Uh, but that doesn't come until Nero claims the Christians, when he probably did, uh, burnt down Rome or started a fire in Rome. Where, of course, Peter will end up dying. Uh, because of it. But today as we look at what Peter has for us, he's going to remind us and remind these churches who they are, and so we need to look at who we are, (laughs) and then how we live, and and then ultimately uh, why we live that way. Okay, so here we go, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Okay, uh, he, he's using this, this exile language, this sojourner language. These are people who live here. And, and again, it's the reality that because if you're a Christian, you know Jesus. That you might have an American passport, but your citizenship is ultimately in heaven with him. That he is our king, and that he is governing above and beyond any human institution we can possibly see. Yes, you have a boss at work, but Jesus is the real boss, right? I remember as a kid, I did not understand the bumper sticker. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. What does that even mean? It's actually a nod to this reality, right? It's, it's a nod to this. Why would you even put that on your bumper sticker? That's weird, right? Oh, got it, got it. It's a joke. Um, so the reality is that the, 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 the gospel uh, isn't just... Um, you say a little prayer about Jesus, and so you're okay with God, so you get to, be, and go, get to go to heaven uh, when you die. Now, those things are true. Absolutely. If you love Jesus, our home is with him. To be apart with the, from the body is to be at home with the Lord. We're safe and secure with Jesus, period. That's the reality. But that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to get us, came to rescue us, entered into human history. God, who is outside of time, entered into time to die on the cross, to live the life we should have lived, to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sins, to make us right with God, even though we've been his enemies and sinned against him and against others, that Jesus came and died the death we deserve as an enemy of God, so to speak, in that spot, so that we, who are enemies of God, could live and then we have life now and forever through him and the wake of this hits us and the wake of this sets us apart in the world in which we live so much so that Peter can use this language your sojourners your exiles your foreigners this ain't home home is with Jesus in heaven yes in what to be technical we'll call the intermediary state and also he's coming to put this world back the way it's supposed to be with his people with him forever and that is our end fate Revelation 20, 21, 22. Okay. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now what's very interesting here, what didn't he say? If we're reading our Bible slowly, I'm always, always, always going to urge you, read your Bible slowly. What, he, what didn't he say? He didn't say, abstain from passion. He didn't say that, did he? He said, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, now, in this he means those, those inward desires that are about us, 
are about me, what about what I want, about what I'm trying to get out of life, what I'm trying to get from other people, what I'm trying to get out of this deal. He didn't say that. He didn't say abstain from passion. He's saying abstain from these things that put you, are you passionately putting yourself at the center of the universe? Our love of comfort, our love of stuff, our love of all these things. He's not saying that because what are we passionate about? If we take Peter seriously as we come to the end of chapter 2, we're passionate about Jesus. That's what we're passionate about. We're passionate about the cross of Jesus Christ. We're passionate about, passionate about knowing Him more. We're, we're passionate and have a zeal for the things He's given us to do. We have a passion and a zeal for loving the people who call Him Lord. We have a passion and a zeal if you're married for your spouse, if you're a parent for your kids, if you have a friend for your friends, to love them and to know them. And we have a passion for lost to come to know Jesus. We are passionate for the things Jesus has given us to do. We are to be passionate about the lives He's given us. This is what sets us apart in this world. If we actually take serious this idea that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, yes, absolutely, 100%, all day long, and to give us life, and our life in God starts now, that we have a life, and that you understand really more who you are even supposed to be, that, that God has built you for enjoyment of Him and to glorify Him, and to appreciate what He's done in the world. Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Or yourself. You. Our deep, abiding love of comfort. Our deep, abiding love for self. The passions of the flesh wage war against our soul. They wage war against ourselves. They wage war against who you were created to be by the God of the universe and who you've been freed to be by His Son. If we were born, if we live, if we are forgiven, if we are made new to have a passion for Jesus, to know God in all that we do, to love God and love others, the love of comfort confronts that. The love of comfort subverts that. The love of self subverts that. The love of stuff subverts that. The love of money subverts that. All these things get in the way of loving God and loving others, and they are waging war against our soul. They are rust. They are dust. And they're waging war against us. Now, we can use all kinds of things for His glory. We can use all kinds of things to convey the message of the gospel and the good news of Jesus and the love He has for us and the love He has for the lost and the love He has for others. But really we have a whole world that's tuned for you, for your comfort, for, for you to win at the king of the hill that is the rat race of your life. Uh, everything is set up for us to acquire more stuff and to be more comfortable and to have a nicer, cushier life. Now, those things kind of dull our senses. When we're so busy just pouring out the, like, all-you-can-weigh, froyo, mmm, delicious. I don't, I don't know. We, we just have a whole world that just pumps comfort into our life. Whatever it is, whatever you want. Two-day shipping's not fast enough. Get it in a day, right? We have this world that's built around you giving people money so that you can be comfortable. And the thing is, is that when we, when we succumb to this, what can happen is that we miss what we're actually supposed to live for, and that's Jesus. We can go a whole day forgetting that the God of the universe entered into human history to die for our sins, to make us alive. Because we're so busy getting after the stuff that wars against our soul. Here's what he says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. 
we miss some stuff. Unless you come from a Jewish background, if you're a Messianic Jew or a Christian who, uh, or a Jew who came to see that Jesus is Messiah, you're what's called a Gentile, according to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Right. So there's the people of God and there's the people that aren't. We are the people, unless, of course, you fit that criteria, that aren't. Jesus died to make those who aren't part of the people of God part of the people of God. And so when he says Gentiles here, this offends a lot of people. We miss that word that's kind of offensive. So what he's saying, this is, he's writing to a mixed group, the church, Jews and Gentiles alike. And he's saying, no, 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 no. These guys who are Gentiles, who used to be outside the team, who aren't related to Abraham or whatever, they're in. Because they're sojourners and exiles. We're in this together. The Gentiles are those guys out there. The Gentiles are those who don't believe the Bible. The Gentiles who don't believe that Jesus is Messiah. And, and, and this thing is saying we're in, they're out, and now we have to live here on planet Earth as these sojourners and exiles in a way that demonstrates the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why? Listen. Keep your conduct or, or really lifestyle or way of life Keep your lifestyle, keep the way you live among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers. What didn't he say? If they might speak against you as evildoers, if you happen across a thing where they speak of you as evildoers, he doesn't say that. See, he says, so that when they speak of you, when, they, when, 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 when they speak of you as evildoers, So that when they speak of you as evildoers, when they speak of people who've had their sins forgiven, who live their whole life for Jesus, believing his word and everything he does in a way that's contradictory to the world in which we live, when they look at us, the people who believe this, and say they're evildoers, God calls it good, we call it bad. So when they speak of, against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What does that mean? That means that I say about the knuckles, even if I had never met Jesus on the day that I would be confronted by him, okay, they were awesome. I thought they were wrong, and I thought they were backwards, and I thought they missed it. They didn't. They were awesome, and I missed that. That's what I missed. I missed that they are awesome. This means that we live as a people marked by a love for Jesus Christ and a love for our neighbors, even when they don't like us to the point of calling us evildoers. Even to the point when Seattle says of churches that believe Jesus and the Bible that they are evildoers, that we love them that we're kind to them. That even in the midst of opposition, we continue to say, Jesus is Lord. Which means, by the way, Ed Murray's not. Right? Jesus is Lord means Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord means Obama's not. Or whoever wins, whatever party they're a part of, it's not really a right, left, blue, red thing. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. All the time, all day long, he is the Lord. Now listen what he has for us. He gives us these case studies of what this looks like. And these are hard. We'll get into three next week. And so we'll look at two and we'll have to kind of come back and revisit this stuff as, as we look at it again, as we see this, this conduct, this lifestyle in the wake of the cross. 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. 
Everyone. Not just when it's easy, right? Your boss turns in your pay stub, so the government knows how much you made, so you must pay taxes on the money that you made. It's hard for them to track the guy who lives in your basement and pays you rent, right? You still have to pay taxes on that. This is not a lecture on paying your taxes. This is just the reality that you don't have to do something only when you're caught. We do things all the time to be honorable to Jesus. Because even in doing that, saying, oh, but I mean, come on, it's just like a hundred bucks or whatever. His dog's just living in my bed. Well, come on, man. Cut me a break. Government's coming down on me all the time. I just need a break here. We obey and follow, not just when it's hard. <laughs> okay. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or as governors, so again, emperor's on top, governors are on kind of down below that, I sent by him to punish those who do good and to praise those, or to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The church was not well liked in the first century. They did things that weirded people out. They did things like, and many of these were like rumors, right? Oh, they're atheists. What do you mean they're atheists? Today, we look up here, we got a cross, we got a piano, me, right? We don't have a statue of Zeus, or of Jesus for that matter. We don't worship statues of Jesus, we worship Jesus, right? As far as the Romans are concerned, those are atheists. Particularly if you're not willing to go then to the temple of Zeus and be like, well, you know, I'm into Jesus, but Zeus is okay. He's not as good as Jesus, but he's all right. That weirded people out. They didn't like it. it causes riots in Ephesus. Read it in the book of Acts. Um, in addition to that, they said, well, we hear that they're drinking blood and eating flesh. Because all we hear is they're saying, my body broken and blood shed for you, right? The same things that made them think they were atheist and weird are the same things that today we do continuously 2,000 years later, which honestly to some people are still kind of weird. So you guys stand up at the end and you do the thing. It's wine, right? It's juice, right? It's bread, right? It's gluten-free, right? Um, <laughs> but it's, it's different, and that's okay. A beautiful opportunity. I got to officiate a wedding a few years ago uh, for a for a guy at the church uh, who, had, who had done work in China, invited his friends from China at the wedding. I had people who had never, ever seen communion before who were from China pull me aside. After, they said, what was that thing they did when you said flesh and blood? And I realized, like, this is beautiful. You, you've never encountered the symbol that we have that's Jesus' body broken and bloodshed for our sins. And so it's weird to you. Uh, when something gets so normal in a culture, sometimes you forget that it's weird that you say this is Jesus' body broken and bloodshed. Uh, for our sins, and now we're going to eat it, right? <laughs> it's supposed to be weird. Jesus says it, right, in, in John, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they say, okay, the free bread thing that you did with the fish and the loaves thing, that was cool. This blood thing, we are going to see you later. Thank you, good night, right? It was offensive then. It honestly should be offensive to us now, which, by the way, was an awesome opportunity to share with them the gospel. They were still weirded out by the wine thing. Okay, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or, or to the governors is sent by him uh, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So they're, they're living as resident exiles. 
They're to live in these places and to go along with the customs as long as what? As long as they don't contradict the gospel. Now, where do I get that? Because he didn't just say that, did he? You've got to pay attention. I could say that, and you're like, well, that's cool that you said that because that works for you. Uh, well, again, we have to use the rest of the Bible. Because what do we hear the apostles say? They take them in, they bust them, book of Acts, they beat them up, and they say, let them go. But hey, you guys don't talk about that Jesus guy anymore, all right? And we'll be, we'll be good here. What do they do? They say, well, we can't do that. We'll preach. Tell the truth. We do everything we can to go along with society until it contradicts God's word. And we even see this book of Revelation, chapter 20. Yes, it's visionary, and we don't have time to unpack all this stuff. But who do we see at the end in 20 who are there ruling and reigning with Jesus? Those who did not bow a knee to society. Those who did not go along with the things in society that were contradictory, even on a governmental level, to the will of Jesus. When we listen, when we don't. If it contradicts the word, we don't do it. But we, do, we go along with everything else. Well, yeah, but I don't, wanna, I don't want them to put a thing on my speedometer to track every mile that I drive. Well, if it's the law of the land, friends, we do. I don't know if you knew that. That's what they're talking about doing. And not only that, but it's, it's Seattle. It's, we do things like that. Again, not a for or against, just saying that's what they're talking about doing. Um, and likewise, we, we can't forget that it doesn't say in Timothy, pray for your leaders when you like who's in office. Pray for your leaders, period. I mean, many of us are millennials and we don't pay attention to things we should pay attention to. You should know the mayor's name and you should pray for him. <laughs> You might, not, you might not agree with them on anything. Pray for them a lot. Um, we don't do prayer breakfast for the president when there's one guy in and one guy not. We pray for the president always. That sets us apart. It sets us apart. Verse 18. Servants, or to be most technical, house slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. We don't like this. This, is, this goes against our American sensibilities on a thousand levels. Let's just, let's just we got to put these things on the table. We are the people who said, we don't have somebody representing us in Parliament. We are not going to pay the taxes. Let's so, throw some tea in the water. Let's throw off the shackles and the bonds of old King George. George? You say it, and then you say, hmm, is that the right guy? It is. It's George. Old King George has to go. We don't like him. Well, you know, honestly, things were not that horrible in the colonies relative to people elsewhere in the world. Um, but hear this. He doesn't say just listen to the just. It's unjust. We don't like this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God... One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Whew, that's hard stuff. That's hard stuff. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Listen to this. For what credit is it if, when you sin, are beaten for it, you endure? When you've done something wrong and something bad happens to you, that's the way it goes. But if one, you do good and suffer for it, 
You endure this gracious thing in the sight of this is a gracious thing from the sight in the sight of God. Now we have to address two issues: one is suffering, and one is this idea of servants or slaves. Um, right now, we live in a time and a place where a number one argument that you may hear about why the Bible is not valid is that people will say the Bible endorses slavery. That's wrong, particularly in terms of the New Testament. It's particularly obvious from the New Testament. People say, well, how can you listen to that old book? Because that old book says these other things are right. Did you know? I didn't. I didn't until I was doing my research this week. Did you know that prior to uh, a wrong and horrible systematic that got constructed to justify the North American slave trade, that most slave owners did not want their African slaves to find out about Jesus or the gospel because they knew if they knew... Wait, so you mean me and my master are both beloved in the sight of God? Wait a second. Did you read this Philemon? Have you read Philemon? It's little. It's in the end. It's really, really good. But Paul's really clear. Paul's going to say things in 1 Corinthians 7 and 21. Get your freedom if you can. Get your freedom and you can. Not only that, but in Exodus, they say that if you capture someone to make them a slave, you should be executed. 21 and 6. The punishment for doing that thing is execution. So yeah, they didn't really want people to read the Bible. Right? Because it's not really for them. Now, of course, people constructed this whole horrific argument, but, but you also have to take in mind when people say, well, people used to think that the Bible justifies slavery. Well, yeah, people used the Bible to justify all kinds of horrible things. Nowhere, nowhere was there a consensus on that. There are always the William Lorber forces of the world saying, God has made us equal and we should be free and this is not how you love your neighbor. This is not how you love people. This is not what it looks like to serve. This is not what it looks like to serve the one who got off his throne and came to earth not to, to, to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It is contradictory to the gospel, period. There are always those voices and they were loud saying it was wrong. They were always there. And realistically, if we read the Bible, if someone says, well, you know what? The New Testament endorses slavery. Either A, they haven't read it, or B, they haven't read it well. One or the other. A or B. Not only that, we have to be careful as we deal with Peter. Peter here is going to write against slavery. He's clearly, I should say it differently, he's clearly sympathetic to those who are slaves. Right? He's clearly sympathetic. As we read this text, he's clearly sympathetic, along with the rest of the Bible, in places like 1 Timothy 1 and 10, where it's going to say that slave trading hits the, uh, the list of vices along with everything else. Those who are man-stealers or slave traders or whatever. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 10. Okay, so <clears throat> we're here, uh, and he's dealing with it, and he's clearly sympathetic. He's clearly sympathetic to the cause, and he's not, again, endorsing it. You have to understand this about Peter. Is Peter in charge? Peter's not in charge of, like, anything, right? We can miss that. Peter, Paul, James, these guys, yeah, you know, they're, they're serving as elders. They're planting churches. Uh, but you know what? If I call the mayor, he doesn't pick up the phone. Pastor Anchor Church, I'm not in charge of anything, right? Like, he's not in the seat of, of power. Like, these are small little churches throughout Asia Minor. He's not in a spot. Every single slave uprising that had happened in the Greco-Roman world up to this point in time went poorly for everybody. It was, they just would send in the Spartans. They would send in the, the, the Roman soldiers, Spartans or Greeks. They, but they, you know, the Romans would send in their guys. They'd send in their families. They'd send in their troops. They'd crush everything. 
But the Bible says, hey, if you can get out of this thing, get out of this thing, get out of it. Uh, as much as it's sort of abiding then with the system, it's not that they're endorsing the system that Peter is marginalized along with the household servant. They're both marginalized people. He, he, he's a first century Jew. This means he's a marginalized person. right? So he's writing to marginalized people as a marginalized person how to deal with their marginalization. Okay, That is different. That is different than Peter, a world leader, saying, well, you know, We'd really like to have like a trade deal with Asia Minor. We don't really like the thing they're doing. But if I come out against it too heavily, it, it, it's going to go poorly for me. And the thing you have to understand, at this point in time, what we get in the New Testament in particular is some of the strongest in terms of historical documents we have against the idea of slavery from the Hellenistic world. How strong? Um, well, if you ever get in the business of studying heretics, Arius was what you call an arch-heretic. That means he's a big heretic. The Council of Nicaea is basically, basically comes into existence to deal with him as an arch-heretic and his heresy. What's his heresy? Uh, Council of Nicaea 324. His heresy is that Jesus isn't God. How much writing do we have left from Arius? Do you know? None. All we have left is what Athanasius wrote, the guy who was fighting him the whole time, saying this is not biblical, and this is not biblical, and this is not biblical. So we have Arius' quotes in Athanasius, but that's it. What do we have from the Greco-Roman world from the advocates of slavery? Only what, and I don't know if you know this, but Aristotle was a pro-slave guy. We have Aristotle's writing, well, this guy said this, and this guy said this, and this guy said this, but we don't have any of it because no one copied it, no one kept it. This is the strongest stuff. And everything those guys wrote that we have from them, this stuff is way stronger. Get your freedom if you can. You're free. By the way, they might call you a slave, but Jesus is the king and you're free. You're free. Even if they keep you in chains, you're free. It's bold stuff the New Testament's got. So here we go. There's our background. Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Sudakar. Uh, he came to, uh, to the region a while ago. I don't know if you guys remember him. Uh, years ago now. He's an Indian pastor. Would be beat repeatedly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sent to the hospital bad for preaching the gospel in India. What did he do? Loved the guys who beat him up. Prayed for them didn't revile them, didn't lash out against them, tried to tell them, by the way, Jesus loves you. This is a weird thing. I know I've mentioned it before, but I love Polycarp so much that as he is going to be martyred, he will not recant about Jesus, but continues to pray for the people who are about to execute him. You see this in martyr story after martyr story after martyr story. We are going to send you to execution, and the martyr says, can I tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ first? Can I tell you the gospel first? Then you can kill me because I'm just going to go home and be with him. But I, need, I have important news for you. Make my day. Right? Now, of course, this is just Jesus. This is just the people of God being like their master. Jesus Christ on the cross looking out at the people who are shouting, Crucify! Crucify! from the cross, says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
This is the attitude of how we deal with injustice. When we are being persecuted for the gospel, people's sin has blinded them to the point of missing the reality that if they are going to come after you because you love Jesus, that we're going to love them, we're going to pray for them, we're going to love our enemies, we're going to pray for those who persecute us. Listen. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. There's power in here. You mean the point isn't that I raise a bigger army and crush them? No. Jesus could have, right? Pilate says, I'm going to stick it to you. That's a paraphrase, right? You're going to die, Jesus. I could call down legions of angels. I know what I'm doing. Paraphrased, but, but regardless. You might follow in his steps. Why? Listen. He committed no sin. I'm pleading with you, church. May we not get so accustomed to hearing about the holiness of God that when we read he was without sin that we stand in the awe and the wonder of the person of Jesus Christ. So it's not just that like he didn't do 10 commandment stuff, right? He he didn't kill anybody. He didn't steal. Start getting down the list it gets harder. Didn't lie, honored the Sabbath perfectly, didn't covet, didn't want what somebody else had. The Ten Commandments are actually hard, right? They're actually hard. But he also didn't tell white lies. He didn't get spiteful for someone in the conversation in his head with that person when he was on, on his way home from work with his boss. You know, there is no the shrimp store called or out of you, George, in the mind of Jesus. It's not the shrimp store, it's the jerk store. But you know what I mean. Those who, of you who know what I mean. There's no George Costanza-ing. There's no cowering and thinking about what he would say and confront someone. You know, and then George gets the job to get the thing. It's okay, George, you're the number one bestseller. That guy wasn't thinking about it. He just has good comebacks. Anyways. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. I mean, just listen. And, and, and you have to see how Peter's hooking this reality up into obeying the government, even when they're making it hard for you, and obeying someone who has authority over you, even when they're being unjust and horrible to you committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. We live in the Yelp world, right? You run a barber shop in Santa Barbara, California, and someone writes nasty things about you on the internet. Well, what's our automatic response when someone starts saying nasty things about us on the internet? We cover it up, we deal with it, we justify it, whatever, 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 whatever. 
What do we do when someone starts gossiping about us or talking about us or saying rude things about us? And they didn't say it to you, but they said it to somebody else, but then you heard it because your friend told you, somebody over friend, heard them talking to your friend. What is our response? It's self-defense. It's reviling. Well, you know what he did? I'll tell you about that guy. That's not his response. Let him revile. Let him spit venom at you. And act like Jesus. Let him spit venom? But, 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 but they're unjust. They're horrible. And I'm not saying don't stand up. I'm not saying don't be truthful. I'm not saying don't fight the good fight. There's a lot of things I'm not saying. But we live in a world with such spite and vitriol, and particularly when people are given the opportunity. Oh, man, that's hard, because I, I thought you were just going to tell me that it's just when I'm in jail. You mean when my buddy tells everyone my catchatory chicken's outdated and old and gross, I'm not supposed to get in his face about it? Let the catchatory chicken go. Or worse. No, not just when you're thrown in the slammer. Not just when it gets heavy. Not just when it gets hard. When you know that your, 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 you know, your big brother is talking to your mom or whatever's going on, you let it go. You don't return reviling with reviling. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But here, listen. So why don't we spit venom back? How? How in the world, when I'm having people spit venom at me, do I not spit venom back at them? This is the world. Dog eat dog. Survival of the fittest. The better story wins. Let's do it. Why? But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. When people are spitting venom at you at work or whatever, when you know that guy blamed you for the thing, it was your project, and then he told the boss it was your fault that it didn't work, and you know it was his fault, and he says, you're such a lazy whatever, blah, 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 and somehow you find out he did it. What happens when we don't spit venom back at him? What happens when it's not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Does your boss know? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you could say horrible things about him. Well, you know, he's this, that, and the other, and I saw him sleeping under his desk. Well, maybe that's for the complaint department. I don't know. kind of depends on your place and work, right? But what happens if no one ever hears your side of the story, even though you're just? This is hard for us as Americans. We don't like this. What if no one ever hears your side of the story? God knows. Hey, there's a time to talk. There's a time to stand up. There's a time to stand for what's right. There's a time to tell your side of the story. But there are also times where people are just spinning venom at you personally. There's nothing you can do. What do you do? You trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Living to righteousness means that I trust Jesus. I trust that if someone's spitting venom at me because I love Jesus, that Jesus will handle it. Right? Your kid dispute with your sibling. I don't know what they did. I have to take justice into my own hands and I have to deal with it. Hopefully, if your parents are on it, mom or dad deals with it, right? You can go to the just judge. Hey, Susie Q, your name's Susie Q, I'm sorry, random name. Susie Q just poked me in the eye with her finger. Well, yeah, your mom can see and we'll deal with it, right? You need to poke her right back. You got the judge, the just judge, 
The God of the universe who's going to judge the living and the dead on your side. He sees it all. He knows it all. Right? Now this is, this is nuanced. This is nuanced. I mean, it, it, it's not that there isn't recourse when we're careful in dealing with, you know, brother sins against you. Go to him. Uh, if someone sins against you, you won't repent. You take it to the church. This elder's doing that or this leader's doing that. You take it to the church. You deal with it with the church. There's, there's mechanisms, but we're talking about the, with the Gentiles, with those guys out there when they're treating us poorly because we love Jesus. When people who hate Jesus or hate you spit venom at you because you're on the side of Jesus, you let it go. Why? Because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, capital S, and overseer, capital O, of your souls, of your self. What does the cross require of us? Jesus didn't stand entitled and return in a reviling. You guys don't know what I did. I made some bread and did the thing. You owe me, dude. Like a sheep before his shears is silent. When we're suffering, we trust. We trust that he's got it. And we ultimately know, particularly as it's a race for materialism or stuff or comfort. We actually have everything we need in the cross of Jesus Christ that you've been uh, forgiven for your sins. But not only that, if you're suffering right now, if you're suffering, it's not just, well, Jesus suffered worse, so deal with it. It's not just, well, you know, there's starving kids in Ethiopia, so, you know, deal with the lima beans. No, no, we're told that Jesus came and lived and died and suffered to be a faithful high priest to us. So that being made like us in every way, he who knew no sin could relate to us as a high priest and he could say, I know, he's, he's not left you. You're not alone in the midst of the suffering and the injustice that the world is putting on you from the outside. The reality is through this cross, we've been given a life, a life that transcends this other life and the, the shackles of the life that, that is upon us and is, 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 is getting us. It's getting us down. Because this is the reality of the cross. Jesus set aside his entitlement and died an unjust death. Whatever injustice you're experiencing in life, it pales in comparison to the one who had no sin and died a criminal's death. Whatever you're experiencing, it pales in comparison to that. But he didn't just die for that. He died so that you could be forgiven and made new and made alive with Him and you have absolutely everything because the one who was on the throne got off the throne and died for your sins to make you right with God. We who were enemies have been made right with Him for everything we've done against Him, everything we've done against others, and everything we deserve to be judged about. He came and was judged in our place so we can live. And you've done absolutely nothing to earn it. It was all His work to wash you clean from your sins and to make you alive together with God. 
If you do not know this gospel, if you do not know this God, His name is Jesus and He will save you and there's nothing you can do to earn it. It is all His work of getting on that cross. It is all of His grace in your life. And our life is not lived trying to make Him happy in the sense that He might accept us, but because He has accepted us in His rejection, because He's forgiven us in, his, in being judged, that we live in response to this. We live in response to what He's done in turning the other cheek and turning the other cheek to others. We live in response to the power of His cross and the suffering He endured that we suffer under the hardship, knowing who is the King and who is the judge and who will judge the living and the dead. If you don't know Him, today is the day. There ain't nobody like Jesus. He'll forgive you. He will love you. He will make you His own. And if you're His, is this reality subverting the way you deal and walk in the world. Because the world keeps telling us a story that this is king of the mountain. That my life is king of the mountain and who dies with the most stuff wins and that we are all entitled to health and wealth and happiness and life. You know what I'm entitled to in this story of the cross of Jesus Christ and the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ? Nothing. What do I get? Everything. Why? Because I get Jesus. Is this subverting the way you deal with your boss? Is this subverting the way you would deal with those in authority over you? Let it. I'm going to remember now together that cross where our sins are forgiven and we're made right with God, though we were his enemies. The only innocent man who ever lived died to make us right with God. The, the juice or the wine represents his blood shed for our sins to make us clean, to make us right. And, and the bread, gluten-free on the far side and regular on the inside, represents his body broken for us. If you're a Christian, you're welcome to take this with us. As, as we approach this, we consider our sin and the way we've believed a different reality than the reality of this cross, and we've sinned, and we've turned, and we've rebelled against God, or we've hurt other people, or whatever we've done, but we come to this knowing it's finished, and we're forgiven, and we're made right with Him. By His stripes, we're healed. And so when we do that, when we come up to take this, we remember this reality, that we're forgiven people. We're blood-bought people. Yes, we're sinners, but we're also saints. So yeah, we take our sins seriously as we consider, but we don't come up here as a funeral procession. We come up here as people who have victory over that sin because of the, G the cross of Jesus Christ. We come as people who are forgiven because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We come as people who are made new and right with God because of Jesus Christ. So when we come up to take this, remember His body broken and blood shed for our sins, and we stand up and we celebrate. I will pray for us. Lord God Almighty, we need you. My inclination is not to turn from reviling, it's to revile. There are things in all of our lives that you only know. There, there are people that could spit venom about us, behind our back, somewhere else, that we will never hear, we don't need to hear, and you hear. There are, there are things that have been done against us that you know. 
And you know how we respond to that. You know how we turn the other cheek. And that is not what we do as human beings. So I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit in our life to respond to that gospel, to turn the other cheek, to not repay reviling with reviling, to not be playing king of the mountain all the time, but to turn to you and know in you we have everything. We need you, Jesus. You are God Almighty. We need your forgiveness. We need your life. We need your power to walk as you walked and to live as you lived. So please, Jesus, help us subvert the stories that we believe about our entitlement to comfort or power or whatever it might be. Subvert those with the reality of the cross. We don't deserve glory. We deserve the cross. You took the cross so that we can have glory. Jesus, we love you. We need you. And we pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.